Well, let's open to the book of Colossians. We're going to be looking at Christ in Colossians, the way Paul presents the Lord Jesus Christ in this book of Colossians. Basically, if you want to put it in one phrase, it's that Christ is all and in all. But let's read some sections here from, first of all, chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. For he, that is God, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. And it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven." And then if you turn over to chapter 2, a couple verses here. Chapter 2, verse 2, he's speaking, Paul's telling why he was writing to the uh, Colossians here. "That That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then if you skip down to verse 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And then... In chapter 3, just one little phrase at the end of verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Now the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from a Roman prison. It's somewhere around the year 60 A.D., He was writing to the church at Colossae, uh, which was in Asia Minor, which is uh, present-day Turkey. It seems from the letter that he had not personally been there, but he had received word by way of Epaphras of what was going on in the church and the condition of the church. And Epaphras must have given a fairly good report of these believers because Paul writes of their faith and hope 
and love. But the main theme of this letter is the preeminence of Christ. In fact, this letter contains some of the most glorious teachings related to the person and work of Christ and his relationship to his people people that you'll find in the Bible. It speaks of his all-sufficiency and our sufficiency in him. We can tell from this letter that there were some problems because certain false teachings were being presented to to this church that Paul felt compelled to stand strongly against. We get a sense of what he was dealing with in these false teachings by noticing the little phrase, no man, in, as it's used in chapter 2. So let's just turn back to chapter 2. I just want to point this out to you because it will show some of what uh, was being presented to these Christians, these uh, ones who were following God, but there were people that were trying to Uh, deceive them and divert them. So, chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no man, that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. So there is this this, uh, influence coming in of persuasive arguments, deception through clever argumentation. And then if you skip down to verse 8. See to it that no one, there's a little phrase again, no one. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So, deception by way of man-made philosophies and empty traditions. And then if you skip over to verse 16, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, here again, deception, this time related to legalism and religious regulations. And then in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. So here you have uh, self, self-abasement and uh, mysticism, taking his stand on visions he has seen and uh, worship of angels. So this idea of self-abasement or uh, some form of mysticism, all these things were being presented to this church. And so Paul is saying, watch out for these things. It's not, it's not the right way. And the right way is one way, and that one way is Christ and Christ alone. Paul's basic principle in this letter and in all his letters, is that any teaching that denies the full deity and true humanity of Christ and says that we need something besides Christ to bring us to full salvation is a heresy and must be resisted. Christ plus nothing. These Colossians 
were being told that they needed some great wisdom or philosophy besides Christ, or they needed to perform some special religious acts, some ceremonies, or circum have, uh, be circumcised, or observe some special religious days, or they needed to practice some form of self-abasement or severe treatment of the body, or they needed to have some kind of mystical experience or have some vision or worship certain angels to really be made complete. Christ is not enough, they were told. You need something besides him and him alone. To that, Paul says, no, never, impossible. This is not at all correct. Christ is all and in all. He is enough for every Christian, anytime, any place, anywhere. So, the emphasis is trust in the all-sufficient Christ, for you are complete in him. Whatever your situation as a Christian, whatever your difficulties, whatever you're experiencing, whatever doubts, and discouragements you have, the answer is found in Christ. Being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what Paul prayed for these Christians at Colossae. If we turn back to chapter 1, this is his prayer for them. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's praying that they basically would see more of God in Christ, more of the reality of who Christ is. Their need was simply to know more of who Christ is and what he's done for them. Everything they needed to be qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light was theirs in Christ. Absolutely everything. Paul wanted them to see more of who Christ is and who they are in him. So first, who is this one who has forgiven all their sins? Well, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. This one who's forgiven your sins is the image of the invisible God. If you saw him, you saw what the Father was like. That's what Jesus said about himself. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Think of that. In a, in a man... All the fullness of deity dwells. All the fullness. He is the firstborn. That means the highest rank, the preeminent ruler of all creation. This is another way of saying he is supreme over everything, everywhere. The firstborn of all creation. He is before all things, and by him all things exist. Everything was created not only by him, but for him. And in him, all things hold together. These are just things Paul says in this letter. He's trying to get, let them see who this Christ is that saved them, you see. For in him, all things hold together. He's the creator, 
and the sustainer and the explainer of all things. When Christ says in him all things hold together, he means that in him all things are kept in their present existence, order, and arrangement by his power. He's holding every atom together. He's holding the galaxies together. The arrangements that are out all through the universe are controlled by Christ. As Hebrews says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. If Christ should choose to remove his power, every created thing would fall into disorder and chaos or sink back into nothingness. He's the word of God that spoke into the darkness and void. Let there be light. That was Christ. Let there be light. And the cosmos was formed out of the chaos. And he is the word of God that explains God and creation to us. He explains everything to us. This is the way we understand reality. He's the light that lights every man. No man has seen God at any time, but Christ has explained him. Paul is telling us here in Colossians that any wisdom or philosophy which supposedly explains existence apart from Christ is false and destructive. If you don't start with Christ, you're going down a dead-end street as far as understanding anything. In all false teachings and philosophies of this world, one thing stands out above all else. Christ is not central. He doesn't have first place. And whatever or whoever denies his preeminence in everything is wrong because God is determined that his son shall have all authority in heaven and earth. You're going against the way God explains everything. I wanted to read from A.W. Tozer here. This is a, an article he wrote on how to try the spirits. And by that he meant, how do we know if this religious experience, this spiritual experience we've had is real? How do we determine that? Well, he goes through a number of things, but one of the main things is what is this experience in relationship, what's it done for you in relationship to Christ? So he says this, How has this new experience affected my attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Whatever place present-day religion may give Christ, God gives him top place in heaven and on earth. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he goes through a bunch of verses related to uh, the preeminence of Christ. But then he says, He must stand, that is, Christ must stand at the center of all true doctrine, all acceptable practice, all genuine Christian experience. Anything that makes him less than God has declared him to be is a delusion, pure and simple, and may may be rejected, no matter how delightful or how satisfying it may seem at the time. It doesn't matter how you feel about this. If Christ isn't at the center of it, if it doesn't make you want to worship Christ, there's something wrong with that experience. 
Christless Christianity sounds contradictory, but it exists as a real phenomenon in our day. Much of what is being done in Christ's name is false to Christ in that it is conceived by the flesh, incorporates fleshly methods, and seeks fleshly ends. The giveaway is that Christ is not central. He is not all and in all. Again, there are psychic experiences that thrill the seeker and lead him to believe he has indeed met the Lord and been taken to the third heaven. But the true nature of the phenomenon is discovered later when he comes to depend more and more upon emotional jags as proof of his spirituality. On the other hand, the new experience, if, if on the other hand, the new experience tends to make Christ indispensable, if it takes our interest off our feelings and places them on Christ, we're on the right track. It should make Christ more and more. If this is a real experience, it should make Christ more and more dear to us. All of creation is for the glory of God in Christ. This is what Paul's saying here. All of creation is for the glory of God in Christ. All things were created by him and for him. The purpose of everything has to do with Christ. As G. Campbell Morgan says in his outline of Colossians, quote, We cannot be New Testament Christians without believing that every blade of grass flashes with the glory of God in Christ. We cannot be New Testament Christians without seeing tokens of his majesty and his infinite glory in the delicate beauty of the flowers and in the rolling rhythmic order of the system of the stars everywhere. You see, it was made for the glory of God in Christ. Everything was made for that. We should be seeing those things as we look out in, in the creation. But not only is Christ preeminent in creation, he is preeminent in redemption. He is sovereign in our salvation. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. Through him all things were reconciled, and in him, in him we have been made complete. As a Christian, you're complete in Christ. Any view of being right with God which denies his preeminence in salvation is also false and deceptive. Anything added to Christ for salvation means that he is not all-sufficient in this area. But he is. This is what Paul's saying here. You're complete in Christ. To put it another way, there's nothing that you and I need for our salvation which is not found in him. Never allow anyone or anything to come between you and Christ as a means of a fuller or more complete salvation. There's, there's nothing needed but Christ. No revelation, no speculation, no philosophy, no legal requirements, no asceticism, no ceremonies, no visions, no mystical experiences, no rituals, no religious ordinances or restrictions can be allowed to come between the saint and Christ the Savior. That last little phrase there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, says it as simply, I think, as it can possibly be said. Christ is all 
and in all. Now that's not the same as saying Christ, or it's not the same as saying all in all. He's not, he's not Christ all in all. That's not what Paul says here. You know, that little phrase, the way we use it today anyway, all in all, uh, means like all things considered. All in all, this may be the case. Well, that's kind of like all things considered. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He says Christ is all and in all. He is the all-sufficient Lord and Savior for every Christian. He is everything to the believer and lives in every believer. He's all and in all, see? He's everything to the believer and lives in every believer. He is the God-man who indwells all of his people of whatever racial, cultural, or social background or status. He's all and in all. He's the primary thing about everything for every believer. I think what Paul is saying here is very similar to what he said back in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. You see, he's all and he's in all. He's God, and he's living in every believer. He's all and in all. John MacArthur points out that Paul is drawing a parallel in these verses. And the parallel has to do with the the word. Let's look at it here. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Well, that word fullness and complete, they're the same word in the Greek, you see. <clears throat> so MacArthur says, Just as Christ is utterly divine, so we are utterly sufficient in him. In him we have, been, in him we have complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete victory. He's triumphed over all opposition, and we are in him, and he is in us. So in him we have comprehensive resources for every issue of life. Paul is showing as clearly as he can that Christ is God. He has all sufficiency in himself. And then, with that, that Christ is in us. So, this all-sufficient one lives in us if we're believers. Therefore, in him, we've been made complete. He's all-sufficient. He's in us. We're complete in him. We must simply appropriate and appreciate by faith all we have and are in Christ. Let me again quote G. Campbell Morgan. He starts out with the little phrase, In him you are made full, you are made complete. 
And he says this, In days when I am discouraged and very fearful about, and fearful by reason of my frailty and my own nearsightedness, I come back and read this statement, and then I break into song in celebration of this Christ of mine. I am made full in him, whatever my problems, whatever my deficiencies. I'm made full in him. There is nothing I need which is not found in him. Peter says, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him, you see. It's, the, it's coming in more and more in the knowledge of Christ. As we see more of that, we'll, f- we'll find all we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellency. So this one who is preeminent in creation is also preeminent in redemption. This all-sufficient one lives in you and I if we're Christians here today. Paul says this glorious reality has now been revealed to Christians, been revealed to the saints. He died for you and he now lives in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're alive in him. He's alive in us. All of Paul's preaching was centered on this, proclaiming Christ in all his fullness so that every believer may come to realize and walk in their completeness in Christ. That's what what his preaching was all about. So the logic is very simple, though it's wonderful beyond comprehension. Since Christ is all-sufficient and Christ lives in you, what else can you need? Our creator is Christ. Our sustainer is Christ. Our explainer is Christ. Our ruler is Christ. Our authority is Christ. Our master is Christ. Our Lord is Christ. Our redeemer is Christ. Our reconciler is Christ. Our access to God is Christ. Our wisdom is Christ. Our philosophy is Christ. Our knowledge is Christ. Our preaching is Christ. Our religion is Christ. Our law is Christ. Our commandment is Christ. Our teaching is Christ. Our circumcision is Christ. Our discipline is Christ. Our sanctification is Christ. Our stability is Christ. Our motivation is Christ. Our assurance is Christ. Our power is Christ. Our love is Christ. Our joy is Christ. Our peace is Christ. Our glory is Christ. Our hope of glory is Christ. Our life is Christ. Our our resurrection is Christ. He is all and in all. If we will truly take him at his word, he will equip us with all we need to live as new creatures in Christ. Now we need to have our minds continually renewed and radically renovated to see that Christ is all and in all. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. Let's start with verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self 
with its evil practices and has put on the new self, the new man, who is being renewed. Now, I want you to note that that word renewed is actually renovated. The literal there is renovated. You know, like you do with a house, Jim? <laughs> Get rid of all that old junk. <laughs> my, li- my wife likes to talk about, you know, when we talk about fixing something on, something on our, our house, I'm usually thinking, well, we could maybe change the doorknobs. And she says, no, we need to gut this place. <laughs> well, that's what God's doing. That's the kind of renovation he does. being renewed or renovated to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. He's created you new and he's renovating you now. God is in the process of an extreme makeover for every Christian making us like Christ. He's created a new nature in the inner man, and now this is being worked out in our daily life. And the last couple chapters of Colossians shows how that works out in the church, in the family, in the workplace. He goes into those areas. But it's all based on these first two chapters. Think of the example of the Apostle Paul himself. God made him a new creature there on the road to Damascus. But he didn't know very much then. In fact, all he could say is, Who who art thou, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He knew he was the Lord, but he didn't know much about him yet. (laughs) But as time goes on and God's teaching him more, by the time he's writing this book to the Colossians, think of this. Now he's proclaiming Christ as king over a vast spiritual kingdom the one who has saved him from his sins, the image of the invisible God. He's saying, now I see, now I see who this one is that saved me there on the road to Damascus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, preeminent over all, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, the head of the church, head of his body, the church, the firstborn from the dead, the fullest of all things, the reconciler of all things to God. In short, Christ is now Paul's all, and he knows that that's the case for every true believer also. He's all and in all. All will ever need. So there was this ongoing renovation of Paul. Even there in the Roman prison. He's sitting there in a Roman prison as he writes this. Towards the end of his life, he's still talking about pressing on to know Christ better. Because there's infinite riches there, you see. We must all learn how Christ is our all. When there's danger and difficulties and disease and discouragement and death... And even when there's disobedience by other Christians, Paul experienced that, some real disappointments. And even disobedience in ourselves, we still fall back on the fact that this all-sufficient one is the one who's worked in our lives 
and made us see something of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It takes time and trials and testing and teaching to learn that Christ is all and in all Christians. We need to continually ask that God would show us more of Christ's transcendent excellency. The great distinguishing mark of a Christian and of the Christian church is simply this, that Christ is all and in all. In all true Christians, Christ is all. We fall short of it, but we know that's the truth. And we keep pressing on to see more and more of the sufficiency that has been given to us, the completeness that's ours in Christ. Now this has to be more than a doctrine. So may God help us to continue to delight in Christ and to make him the desire of our hearts. That Christ is all, and that he might become all and all for all of us.